and welcome to Decoding Duchenne with me, Claire Ronacres. Brought to you by the charity Duchenne UK at their headquarters in London, which is unfortunately currently surrounded by a construction site. <laughs> you might hear the buildings in the background. Pioneering, unique, innovative, ambitious, all words used to describe our topic today, Project Hercules. Duchenne UK has brought together major drug companies, patient organisations and academics to create a framework to speed up the delivery of new drugs for Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It has the potential to improve the chances of new medicines reaching patients. If you're wondering why it's called Hercules, it stands for Health Research Collaboration United in Leading Evidence Synthesis. Bit of a mouthful, which is why it was there. Cut back to Hercules. Um, joining me now to discuss it are Emily Crossley, the co-founder of Duchenne UK, Fleur Chandler, who's worked in the pharmaceutical industry for 25 years, specialising in clinical research and health outcomes, and who is the mother of a child with Duchenne, and Josie Godfrey, who set up the system by which treatments for very rare diseases are assessed at NICE, and who's the project manager for Project Hercules. Emily, um, Project Hercules is the brainchild of Duchenne UK. Why did you feel the need to go about this? The whole purpose of Duchenne UK is to accelerate drug development and the process of bringing new drugs to patients is very complex and very challenging and the way I sort of think about it is there are basically two mountains that drug companies need to climb. The first one is to prove that their drugs actually work against placebo and that they are safe and they deliver clinical benefit to the patient. So that's one mountain that they have to climb to get their drugs approved. The second mountain they have to climb is to prove that those drugs, those medicines offer value for money and that the bodies who pay for drugs should pay for them so that they can get access to patients. And this is a very relevant um, story for Duchenne because um, in 2014 the first ever drug was given conditional marketing authorization for a subsection of patients with Duchenne uh, who have nonsense mutations. That drug was called Translana. Mm -hmm. um, but it took two and a half years for NICE to be able to agree to pay for that medicine. Um, it was a very challenging, very emotional period of time. Most importantly because the labelling on that drug was for boys who were five years and older, um, but they, the drug was withdrawn once they stopped walking. So you had patients in the UK whose sons could walk when the drug was given conditional approval. So eligible at the outset. They were eligible at the outset, but in the time that it took for NICE to agree to pay for those drugs, those boys were no longer walking and they could no longer access this medicine. This is unacceptable. For a, for a family, for a patient, this is unacceptable. Um, and I realised in that moment that there is something much worse than having no approved treatment for your disease and that's having something that has been approved as safe and efficacious but that is sitting on a shelf because nobody can work out how to pay for it. And for families to be given that hope of a medicine and then to see it so cruelly taken away from them was something I felt we could not do, live through again. We, we, that cannot happen again. So when Fleur came to us with the idea of Hercules, uh, I just felt like the time was right and we had to do everything we could to get behind it and make this project fly. So Josie, you know, there are these two mountains to climb. There's the, the laboratory stuff where you work out that a drug is safe and efficacious and, and good to use on a, um, for a disease. And then there's this second wave um, where a body like NICE demands certain evidence and things. Can you talk us about why that is necessary? That's right. So the regulatory hurdle is really focusing on the risk to the patient. So is it going to do more harm than good? Is it going to have some benefit? When it comes to organisations like NICE or indeed any other country, health systems have to decide what represents best value for them, what is something that they can actually 
think they should be funding and they should be supporting. And that's asking, how good is it? Not just does it have some benefit, but what is the size of that benefit? And also what is the cost? And taking a decision about whether that is value for the system in an individual country. So, so Fleur, you know, this was your idea in many respects. Why, what brought it about for you? Well, I've worked in the field of health economics for many years at uh, GSK and well aware of the process and the evidence needs that are required to have a successful mm-hmm. um, health technology assessment outcome. And uh, my, my boss from a couple of years ago said to me once, she said, if you don't use what you know to help the Duchenne community, then that will be a real shame. And I thought, actually, the only thing I really do know is health technology assessment and health economics. And I was watching the um, witnessing PTC struggle with trying to get Translana through their nice appraisal, and mm-hmm. I could see that they didn't necessarily have what they needed, didn't have the right evidence, didn't have the right um, approach, and through no fault of their own, just because they didn't know how to do it, and felt there had to be a better way in trying to educate the biotechs going through the new drugs in terms of what they need to do to achieve a successful health technology assessment. And, and deeply frustrating for you personally. Yes, very. Because you have a child with Duchenne. Yes, so I have the, the head of a, a health economist but the heart of a Duchenne mum. And, and through Project Hercules we're combining those two things, to hopefully to have positive outcomes. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. I mean, I think what's so unique about Flora is that you know she's living and breathing Duchenne. Um, she knows what the impact of this disease is, not only to Dom, her son, but to her and her family. And she could see that these devastating impacts were not being adequately captured in a way that will persuade HTA bodies of the benefit of drugs. To fund Sometimes, to, 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 an, to an, you know, an impartial observer, these benefits may be incremental, but to us, they are life-changing. Economically, they will be life-changing for various reasons. Um, and that's, I think, the, the value that, that Fleur brings is that she intimately understands the impact of DMD and can help us to translate that into data mm. that will be understood and accepted by HTA bodies. Yeah. Talking their language. What did you feel when uh, Project Hercules was uh, presented to you? How did you react to this idea? I was so excited. <laughs> yes, finally. <laughs> and this is what I've been saying, you know, <laughs> that companies can come together, will collaborate on these non-competitive pieces of information, of data and tools that will actually make the lives of my former colleagues and people like them a lot easier because they have that confidence that the data you're seeing is as good as it is going to get for these rare diseases is fantastic. I'd been through some of the, the Translana journey on the other side of the table and seen how challenging that was. I'd also worked on other rare diseases and the story is the same again and again. So for me, it was just a really exciting project and something that I think is, is a model I hope to see other areas look at too. You're the project manager for Project Hercules um, and I understand work is already underway on the first phase. Can you talk about that? Tell us what's yes, going on. Yes, so work is well underway. Um, the, the first phase is looking at two particular things. So one is developing something that's called a quality of life metric. So this is quite a technical thing about how you measure that burden of disease, that impact of the illness and the impact of a treatment. And it's the way in which organisations like NICE measure quality. They refer to something called a quali, a quality adjusted life year. Um, Fleur can explain that in much more detail, she's better at the technical <laughs> side. <laughs> but essentially that's how they measure 
the effectiveness and how they compare different drugs, how they say whether something other's good value. And the normal ways in which you measure quality of life are just not really fit for purpose for when it comes to Duchenne. They maybe don't capture um, all of the differences at the stages of progression. And so what, what makes Duchenne so difficult to pin down? Most degenerative conditions seem to suffer from the same issue, perhaps slightly different. So it's not unusual that Duchenne's in this position, that the, the standard metrics don't apply. Um, things like fatigue, things like pain aren't oh, really hard to qualify. Well, hard to qualify yep. as standard measures. So we're working with Sheffield University, a great team there, who are starting by looking at those measures that are commonly used, so the metrics that are commonly used, and saying, do they fit? Is there, is there one that actually is a really good fit with Duchenne? We think we know the answer, but we're very open to, to saying, okay, if they find one, fantastic. Mm -hmm. But that, in parallel to that, developing a bespoke metric, so something that will capture much more of the important elements of Duchenne, so that they can be fed into those processes in a way that is seen as typically scientific and robust and it's acceptable to organisations like NICE. Just picking up on what Josie said, Fleur, tell us about qualities. Well, a quality, as Josie said, is a quality-adjusted life year and it's a measure that um, combines both the quality of life and the length of life and you need to get as many of those as possible to offset the cost of the drug. So ultimately when NICE or bodies like NICE make their decisions, there's something called a cost per quality or an incremental cost effectiveness ratio. So you get sort of points for how well yes. it, do it does this. Yes. And, and how do you judge that quality of life? Well, at the moment, the, the standard questionnaire that people want to use is something called the EQ5D. And, but it's very basic, but it's at a population level, so it basically rates lots of different health states, helps you measure a health state, and then rates that against lots of, you can compare to any health state, so you can compare your ingrowing toenails with Duchenne or whatever else you've measured with right. it. It's, it's, it's very broad. It's very, very broad. But it's divided into certain sections, and some of the reasons it doesn't work in something like Duchenne is along, there's a section on mobility, for example, and it just has five questions. Whereas, obviously, mobility is a very big issue very, in this very disease, big yeah. issue there. Um, one of the other um, components of it is around usual activities. And in a degenerative disease, your usual activities will be changing all the time anyway. So it doesn't make sense to ask that question around have your usual activities changed because the usual The benchmarks aren't the same because no, they're, they're fluid. The yeah. So your usual activities for a 10-year-old boy would be going out on the bike or, yeah. you know, or going bowling or doing all these sorts of things. For a 10-year-old boy with Duchenne, that's never been the norm. That's yeah. never his usual activities. So to try to measure the, the change in that doesn't make any sense. So, so the current measures are not necessarily fit for purpose. So this is what this first phase is going to do. They're going to tighten up those and produce yeah. something uniform that um, drug companies can, can use. Yes. That's right, absolutely. And the, the second part of phase one is to take the data that is out there, and there is a lot of data out there about Duchenne, so whether it's natural history data registries or the placebo arm of a, of a trial, and actually look at what is measured, what is captured, and map that across to more meaningful clinical outcomes that again are of more relevance to organisations like NICE. So one of the things that I find interesting, and this is where I have the, the head of a health economist but at the heart of a Duchenne mum, is trying to articulate what the value of a treatment would be or would mean to us. Um, for example, um, Dominic, he can't walk anymore. Um, 
that leading up to that that phase, there was a terrible period where he would fall over all the time, it's all the time, and something like a uh, one of the companies would measure number of falls, but what they're not doing then is articulating what does that actually mean, mm. and that's what's important to somebody like Nice. And if I sort of explained a little bit more. Um, it's around the fact because he used to fall over all the time I couldn't leave the room so he was never on his own and I could never pop out into the garden or do all, any so of those quality things. of life for both of you both of our quality of life was reduced Diminished, and also yeah. if he had fallen and broken a bone then you're potentially that's the end of that's the end of your walking period because once they're immobilized for a while then they're not going to be able to walk yeah. again so falling is like incredibly important but because it has much more implication than yeah. just the number of falls. And that wasn't reflected in the no. data that was captured. No, and how, how would it be? You wouldn't, you know, as a pharma company looking at this, if you're not experiencing it, you wouldn't think about wouldn't that. You prioritise that kind of information. You wouldn't even include it. No. And yeah. then and other things, for example, they would maybe put something like trying to avoid spinal surgery into the whole equation, because basically cost-effectiveness is like a set of scales. You've got all the effectiveness stuff on one side and the cost on the other. Mm. And sometimes you're reducing cost if you're avoiding something, and sometimes you're adding cost in with the cost of the drug. On the effect side, you're either you know keeping somebody walking longer or avoiding um, or improving their quality of life, and it's, it's like a scale, set of scales. Um, so things like spinal surgery, for example, there would be an associated cost with that and you pull that from the tariff if you were doing an economic model and you just pop it into your model. Actually spinal surgery involves probably five visits before that. You've got to see the cardiologist, yeah. the respiratory consultant, you've got to see the orthopedic surgeon. So it's much more costly than you'd much imagine. Much more costly and then obviously that's all taken too long so by the time you've got the surgery scheduled you need to see the cardiologist again so yeah. you have to have this like, and recuperation the yeah. other end, etc., etc. Yes, all of those, all of those things. Time off school means that you, one of the parents probably has to stop working. You know, there's, so there's a lot more to it than the off-the-shelf NHS cost, and that's the sort of thing that we need to get to in Project Hercules. Is right, really trying to understand what the real burden of these, of, of the disease itself, and all the sequelae are. So I understand the second phase um, is going to be about the economic model. Can you explain what that is? The economic model is basically how all this data comes together um, and is then presented to an organisation such as NICE where they, exactly as Fleur says, try to articulate all of those benefits and all of those costs and what they anticipate the benefits of the products patronage treatment to be and what they anticipate the costs to be. And that is basic building block that starts the whole decision off, whether it's NICE or any other organisation. And, and it's a whole ac academic um, genre, yes. which is what people don't understand. I think that there is any number of professors of health economics and there are lots of consultancies who will write these models, but it is... <laughs> it's an academic discipline in and of itself, particularly in the UK, which in, in many ways is the, the home of, of this health economics, health technology assessment. So we've been talking a lot about NICE in this discussion. The implications are sort of more wide-reaching than that. How does it affect the global scale, the global...? Yeah, absolutely. Pretty much every country is going to have some kind of process for deciding which products, which new treatments are going to bring the best value to their own particular set of circumstances in their health system. And many of them, particularly in Europe but also elsewhere, 
take a health technology assessment approach. So it's not the same as NICE's approach, but it's similar. And the inputs, so the evidence that they need, so the general approach is very much the same. There will be an economic model. They might have slightly different things they're taking into account, but a lot of the core building blocks will be exactly the same. So Hercules is absolutely an international project. It's taking an international approach. So although DGNUK is based in the UK, we are working with, with people in Germany, in Spain, in France, you name it, we're working with them to make sure that we don't inadvertently only create evidence that's fit for purpose in one country. So the hope is it will have benefits internationally? Absolutely. So our, our latest um, endeavour is now with the US because the US do have a very different system. They have health plans and it's very much insurance-led, which is not the same. Although they do have one body who undertake cost-effectiveness analysis, largely each health plan will decide whether to fund or not fund any medicines that are passed by the FDA. So you have to go through the insurance companies? Yes. Yeah. So and is it the FDA that's the umbrella body? The FDA are like the EMA, they're the regulatory oh, okay. body who decide whether something's safe and effective. So it's come through that first and then you have the second layer again? Yes, it's the exactly it's the insurance same, companies. same thing, but they have a different way of looking at things and the insurance companies all have different ways of assessing. Gosh, so bringing those together is another big... Yes, so we're embarking on Hercules US. Yeah, and I think it's very important for us because all of the industry partners that we have on Hercules, from Pfizer to Roche to Summit to Solid to Wave to PTC to Sarepta, they are global, obviously, in, in their endeavours. And um, it's very important to us that uh, we we are globally relevant. Um, and you know, in your introduction, you talked about patient organisations. So we're working closely with the patient organisations in the US, in Canada, in Europe, and in Australia. Um, and they've all been very enthusiastic about the idea and wanting to help us to um, bring Hercules to, to basically globally. And remarkable, I'm told, and you know, all the articles I've read have brought together such big companies. Um, to work on a project like this? Well, I mean, we, you know, we've got seven companies signed up and I think, Flo, in the beginning we were thinking maybe, we were hoping for three to three or four. <laughs> but they're big um, names too. They're big yeah. names. I mean, some of them are very disease-specific, so they have products in development for DMD only. Um, others have one or two disease areas they're looking at. And then we've got Pfizer and Roche who obviously uh, look, look at all spectrum of diseases. What we're really proud of and what we're very grateful to our industry partners seeing is that you know this is a very novel approach I mean you know to get companies to work together like this is pretty much new territory and we're really thrilled that they were able to see the merits of this approach because for them I guess what they're getting is well number one they're getting Josie and Fleur's expertise um, and because they're collaborating to build these models together the cost is vastly reduced um, and the timelines are speeded up in the sense that um, there will be much less duplication of effort. You know, in the old scenario, all these companies would be having to build these models anyway, pretty much, wouldn't they? Um, and they'd be spending their own time, their own money, and commissioning a group here, there, everywhere to, to do it. The benefit of this is that we've got, you know, these very intelligent companies sitting around the table, all feeding in to one model all their ideas are going in to make this model as robust as it can possibly be. We were just thrilled to have so many sign up and, and, and see the merits of this approach. What we're doing is creating a, a gold standard evidence base and individually they would have struggled to do that because 
you wouldn't be able to fund it. And also Duchenne is a rare disease, so there aren't yeah. that many patients from which you can co- collect exactly. data. Yes, you're fishing, in a, you're fishing in the pool, and all of these companies would be fishing in the same pool, asking slightly different questions, so the evidence base would all be very different between the, the companies, either conflicting mm-hmm. or repetitive. And both of those are somewhere you don't want to end up. It sets everything back further. Yes, it sets everything back. It makes things more uncertain when someone like NICE needs to look at it. So by bringing all the companies together, you've got... It's um, very efficient in terms of cost because you're only contracting once to do a burden of illness study or to create an economic model and you're not impacting on the patient pool too much because you're only asking them once. So that, that's another consideration, yes. if you've got a few patients to keep up bombarding them with questions about how they feel yes. and yeah. can be, yeah. you know, compound an already difficult situation. Yes, absolutely. Um, and bringing the companies together, it makes the companies feel, it makes them look good too, that yeah. we're collaborating and that we can do that, we can work in that way. Um, and the other sort of useful point, I think, is around the charity being the, the figurehead for it, is that it means you have better access to information. So whereas if a small company wanted to go to a database to ask for their data, yeah. it would take quite a long time. So the, the charity acts as a broker between yes, the small and large organisations. Absolutely, and, I, quite, and quite often some of these um, uh, the health organisations are happier to give their data to a patient organisation than they are to, a to an competitor individual or, company. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So it's about mediation from the charity, that's a, a yeah. benefit too. It's, it's about being the glue that sort of brings everyone together and hopefully uh, saves industry money, gives them access to the best data uh, and helps build the most robust model possible. So a proud moment for Duchenne UK. You know, we are extremely proud of Hercules and, and you know, just to think how far we've come in such a relatively short space of time. I mean, I think one of my learnings since setting up the charity is that, you know, things never happen quickly enough when, you, when you're living with a progressive, debilitating, awful disease like Duchenne. Um, but I think what we've achieved in, in just 18 short months really is, is, is quite phenomenal. And, you know, it was Fleur's idea. We couldn't have done it without Josie. You know, she's been absolutely integral to it. Um, and I really hope that this, you know, is the start of a new way of, of, of companies working because um, already I can see the benefits. And yeah, I, I think it's a hugely, hugely exciting project. And while obviously this was born out of Duchenne muscular dystrophy, it has the potential to help other rare diseases too, presumably. Yes, I think there's two ways in which it can help other uh, particularly rare diseases. So first is the actual outputs of Hercules, which will have a lot more relevance to a disease such as spinal muscular atrophy than perhaps some of the other things that people are having to look at at the moment. So some of the challenges that Fleur articulated with the, the way we measure the burden of the, the Duchenne will absolutely have resonance and relevance for, for SMA and other diseases, and particularly degenerative neuromuscular diseases or diseases of childhood. Yeah. So that's the, the first very instant, I think, benefit, for um, particularly for SMA, which is going through a nice process at the moment with a, with a new treatment. There's also the model, that collaborative approach, that international approach, um, that patient-driven approach, which I think is a model that certainly in rare diseases there will be, I hope, a lot of interest in. So although the specific outputs of Hercules might not be of immediate benefit to them, the approach may well drive other areas to, to take a similar set and think much earlier about what they need to get access for patients instead of coming very late at that once they've already fast approaching um, EMA or other Approval. licenses. Yeah.
So there we have it. Project Hercules is a revolutionary collaboration of drug companies, patient groups and academics which offer a potential paradigm shift in the way data for rare diseases is collected, a blueprint which is hoped will speed up drug development. You can find out much more on Project Hercules and information about Duchenne Muscular Dystrophy, Duchenne UK's fundraising and how the money is being spent on the website www.duchenneuk.org. Thank you for listening to Decoding Duchenne. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, recommend us to your friends and join us next time.